You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, I invite you to open your Bibles, first of all, to Romans chapter 5. You'll see that we have three readings this afternoon from Romans and then two from Luke. These correspond to the three points in the sermon this afternoon. Let our good works glorify Christ, are rewarded by the Father, and then are the fruit of the Spirit. So let's read together the word of our Lord, first of all from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, char- perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we'll turn secondly to Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through verse 36. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And we'll skip over a number of verses to verse 43 of that same chapter. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. We had in our reading something of the incredible privilege of life and the rewards that our Heavenly Father gives us. How do these two fit together? Let's turn to our catechism, Lord's Day 24. 
It's our text for this afternoon, the Word of God, as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 24 about our works and their relationship to our faith and to our life with the Lord. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 24, our text for this afternoon, the Heidelberg Catechism takes what seems to be a very negative turn. After affirming in a beautiful and a positive way the sufficiency and the exclusiveness of Christ's righteousness for our salvation, the Catechism goes on to ask some more questions about that, and it's all no, no, no. Can good works be our righteousness? No. How about just a little? No. Do they earn a reward? No. And then the questioner decides, okay, if it's going to be all negative, I can be negative too. Won't this make people wicked and perverse? No. It all gets pretty negative. Good works don't do this, don't do that, and don't do the other thing. All this negativity might start to give you the wrong idea about good works. Why would we even call them good in the first place? If they're so bad, what's with the name? Well, the problem isn't with the works themselves. It's not a plea to to stop doing good works. Not at all. The problem is rather with where we're talking about them. You see, we're talking about justification here. The question of God's judgment with respect to the sinner. It's here that our good works earn us nothing. Zero. Zilch. It's like being on trial for theft. And there's a a mountain of evidence showing that you are a hardened kleptomaniac. That you cannot help but steal all the time, and this has been going on for a long time. And you try and tell the judge, but there was a few times when I actually gave gifts to people. It has no bearing on the judgment. It will do nothing to change the judgment against you. The righteousness that can stand before God's judgment must be perfect and complete. Our good works aren't close, and so they add nothing to it. And yet, in spite of all this negativity about our seemingly good-for-nothing works, we learn that our good works aren't good-for-nothing. Even here, while we're talking about them in completely the wrong place, you realize that Lord's Day 33 comes back to good works 
And there it's much more positive. It's talking about thankfulness there. That's the right place for them. But yet, even here, we learn about the grace of God with respect even to our weak efforts to serve Him. So our theme this afternoon is that our good works add nothing to our righteousness before God. Yet, they glorify Christ, they're rewarded by the Father, and they are a fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts. Our good works add nothing to our righteousness before God, yet they glorify Christ, they're rewarded by the Father, and they are a fruit of the Spirit. So first, they glorify Christ. The catechism questioner after listening intently to Lord's Day 23, isn't slow to catch on. They realize that the clear implication of the fact that we are righteous by righteous before God only by true faith in Jesus Christ, the clear implication is that our good works cannot be our righteousness before God. Christ's righteousness is 100% ours, which therefore 100% excludes our righteousness from earning God's favor. But yet, this is a a hard thing to comprehend. It's an even harder thing for proud hearts to accept. Can our good works not even be a little bit of our righteousness? Why not? Think about someone who does something really, really good. Perhaps someone would would sell all their possessions, give away all their money to the poor, and dedicate their whole life to helping out someone who is truly in need. Wouldn't that count for something? It's a good question, really, especially considering the near-universal religion of our days, the I believe that if I'm good and help people, God will save me, religion. He certainly wouldn't send someone to hell who's a good person, would he? That's the popular uh, way of answering the question these days. Probably you've talked to someone who has that view. There are a lot of people out there that that comprises their whole view about salvation. If I'm good and I'm nice... God will save me. That view assumes something about God from the very beginning. The person who speaks that view assumes that, one, they know God's standards, and two, that those standards are what they themselves would apply to someone like themselves. But then you have to ask them, and I encourage you to do that, Who is this God that you're talking about? Is he God, the creator of the universe? The one who powerfully upholds this world? The one who shows his glory in created things? Who's holy, righteous, and just? The one who communicates himself through his word? Or is he some other God? Or is he just a figment of your imagination? whose standards of justice are determined not by him, but by you, or by your friend. 
Who becomes God in that situation? If we are allowed to make up the attributes of God and to say what counts as God's standard, who becomes God in that situation? Him or us? Well, making up our own God and and attributing certain standards of justice to Him is, is just as foolish as carving one out of wood and setting it up and worshiping it. That's not a good way to go. What standard then for righteousness is there according to God's Word? Well, we've already been through this in Lord's Day 23. God has given us His standard in His law, and it's encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. And as Deuteronomy 27 and Galatians 3 teach us, anyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. God demands perfection according to His own standards, complete adherence to His law. Flawless execution of His demands. And it's in light of God's standard that we realize how far short we fall. God's Word testifies to this, and our own experience backs that up. Our works cannot be our righteousness before God. Indeed, Christ's righteousness can only be our righteousness because His was the only one that that was up to the standard that was completely characterized by obedience, submission, worship, and love, while fulfilling all that God had given him to do. So we cannot count on our own good works to be our righteousness. But but what about apart? Let's go back to the, the person that we spoke of a little earlier, the one who gave up everything and then committed his life to helping the poor or or helping someone out who needed help. Suppose this person was a Christian and did it all in the name of Christ. Would that not be acceptable to God as part of his righteousness before God? Well, if we consider this, we come to the Roman Catholic doctrine on justification. The very doctrine to which the reformers were opposed, that they had grown up with, but that in studying God's word, they came to oppose. Because the Roman Catholic doctrine does not claim that our good works are good enough to be our righteousness before God, or that we can do it all on our own strength. Not at all. They realize sin and weakness stands against us. Rather, the Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches that our righteousness before God is composed of a combination between God's grace and our works. It goes something like this. It kind of starts to go off the rails right at the beginning as soon as they talk about God's grace. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about God's merciful disposition towards sinners. That out of, out of His own good pleasure, He is merciful, loving. But when the Roman Catholic Church talks about grace, they talk about it like it like it's a substance, a very powerful substance that's given to a person when they're baptized, and that gets infused into believers. And that grace that becomes a part of them helps them to do good works. It, it washes away original sin, and it makes them capable of doing good works. If I was to give you a really crass example, I'd give you the example of my lawnmower. 
for my lawnmower to operate, I have to pour gas into it, and then I have to pull the string. But then once I pull the string, the lawnmower runs on its own. That's something like the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification. God pours His grace into us, and then He gets us started, but then we're on our own to work out our salvation before God. Now, a Roman Catholic theologian would qualify all this by saying that it's all it's only possible by Christ's death, and that even our good works are, are caused by grace, like the gas in the mower. But yet it's undeniable that works are critical. It's as if one has to stand on the foundation of Christ. All that Christ has done provides for us a big and beautiful foundation in the Roman Catholic understanding of things, which we stand on, but then from there we have to step into heaven. And if you read the literature about good works and about salvation from Roman Catholics, they say good things at the beginning about the sacrifice of Christ and the necessity of grace, but it's not long before the discussion turns to works, works, works. If it's about works, you really have to discover, well, what kinds of works and which ones count and which ones don't? Where does your heart have to be at when you do them? Are some better than others? So you see how it all becomes about works and merit. But what does Scripture say? Scripture has the same attitude as Psalm 90. We live, we labor, and it amounts to not much at the end. Scripture says even our best works are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64. It says in Romans 4 that to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as his righteousness. It says in Philippians 3, the words of Paul, not having a righteousness of my own am I saved, but that which comes from God and is by faith, not by works, but by faith. And so we realize that it's all about what Christ has done for us. And this is where we come to the the title of this point, that our good works serve to glorify Christ. In asserting that our good works do nothing for our justification, we are at the same time standing in awe of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We could do nothing, but Christ did it all for us. We have to do nothing because Christ did it all for us. Realizing that our good works don't really accomplish much according to God's standard reveals how much Christ has done for us. Like that kleptomaniac on trial for stealing, we're totally guilty. According to God's standard, we're guilty and worthy of condemnation. But thanks be to God and glory be to Jesus Christ because He gave up His life for ours and He fulfilled all the requirements of God's law for us. When we realize the comparison of our works to what Christ has done, it's like we're holding on to the monopoly money and we're trying to bring it to the bank. It just doesn't count there. 
But what Christ has done is given us all the riches of His sacrifice and His work on our behalf. His perfect life, His humble submission, His complete obedience, His atoning death. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. In realizing our weakness, we glorify Christ. So our good works, or the lack thereof, glorifies Christ. We also see, secondly, that they're rewarded by the Father. The second question in this Lord's Day 24 asserts two things. One, our good works earn nothing. And two, God will reward them both now and later. Two things that don't seem to hold together, but both true. The reality of God's reward for those who serve Him faithfully can't be denied. Think of Luke 6. We read that together. Then your reward will be great. You'll be called sons of the Most High. Matthew 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Think of our text from this morning, if you were here. Paul says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. We can go on. 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Bible is consistently clear about the reality of God taking into account what you do while you are here on earth. God grants rewards. God looks with pleasure upon the good works that we do while in the body on the earth. That much is clear and really is wonderful to know. But the question here is really asking, okay, well, what's the relationship then between our works and our reward? If our works don't merit justification, if our works don't serve to be our righteousness before God, do they at least merit the reward that they receive? And then we have to look at the other side of the story. The the Psalm 90 side. The Romans 4 side. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited, credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, To the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So works don't count. Or you can think of Luke 17. The Lord Jesus teaches, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Justification with the acceptance and adoption by God that it makes possible is a gift of grace. Well, if the greatest reward possible, the reward of eternal life in the kingdom of Christ and fellowship with God, if that's a gift of grace, then would not every other gift included in that also be a gift of grace? If my sin and every act that comes forth from my sinful nature deserves condemnation, then does not God's reward of anything that I do come completely by His grace? There's nothing meritorious in ourselves or in what we do 
that earns God's delight. God delights in us in Christ. He delights in what Christ accomplishes through us. And that's really a wonderful thing. You can really only sit back and marvel at God's grace here. We were rebels and delinquents. And yet God drew us into His family. And then by His powerful Spirit, He he renews us and He makes us able to serve Him, to love Him, to carry out His calling in this world. And then He decides to, to reward that. To reward the things that He Himself has worked through us by His Spirit. What do we deserve? Nothing. But God is a God of grace. So we see that our works are rewarded by the Father, by His grace. Thirdly, then, we see that they are a fruit of the Spirit. It's all grace. Grace, grace, grace. Grace in justification. Grace in good works. Grace in receiving God's gifts. It's all God's initiative and blessing. And none of our own. But some have considered this formula and found that it really doesn't make any sense. If Jesus Christ has done it all, they will say, then what does it matter that what we do? If my good works merit nothing for salvation, then why do them? If I don't need to do good and God will forgive my bad, then why would I do good, especially if bad is more fun, more pleasurable? For someone who doesn't understand the nature of grace and the total salvation of a sinner, this is very confusing. To a moralist, this is very dangerous. You can't just tell someone that it doesn't matter what they do. They'll just go and do anything then. The question really is a natural one, and it's one that you'll probably hear time and time again as you explain to others what the gospel is. It's so common, in fact, because works-based salvation and merit-based religion are the fundamental religions of the human heart, and they're all around us. Consider the popular, I believe that God will save me because I'm good religion. Very popular in our day. Look into Islam, and you find a God who judges you according to your deeds. So you better be good. Look into Hinduism and you find a, a religion that requires you to go inside yourself to, to find God and to maintain a countless routine of rituals to please God. It becomes about what you do. Look into Buddhism and you find a religion that requires you to reach a better state. How? Through self-discipline. Through meditation. If the evidence, the logic goes, if the evidence of our depravity and the reason for our misery is doing bad things, then the solution must be to do good things. And if it doesn't matter what you do, then why wouldn't you just go for the bad, the indulgent, the fun? Or at least, why wouldn't you just be careless about what you do? Well, the Catechism says, the one who is united to Jesus Christ by faith will be neither careless nor wicked. Why? 
because it's impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. John 15, the Lord Jesus says that He's the true vine. If a branch is grafted into that vine, then it feeds off the life-giving nutrients of that vine, and it bears fruit. To be truly grafted into Christ means to bear fruit. As Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, a good tree bears good fruit. It cannot bear bad fruit. The reason why someone can ask the question, well, won't this teaching make people careless and wicked, is because they don't really understand salvation. When Jesus Christ saves us, it's it's a complete, it's a total salvation. He doesn't just write us a ticket into heaven or beam us into eternal glory. No, He saves us and renews us. We become recreated after the image of Christ. We become useful for a life in God's service and kingdom. We change from boasting in ourselves to boasting in Christ. We come from dead to alive. Justification is by faith alone, but it's not the only thing that's enacted by faith. It's just the beginning. It's followed by sanctification, the process of of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it's completed in glorification when Christ's work is complete in us and we will be truly complete to God's glory. You can put it another way, justification is, as John Calvin has famously said, the main hinge upon which our salvation turns. But it really is just the hinge. It's not the whole thing. Salvation encompasses the totality of God's work that encompasses the totality of ourselves and of our lives, of our wills, of our minds. It's like the golden chain of Romans 8 says, for those who God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. We're not talking about just getting into heaven. We're talking about a whole life that's transformed for God's glory. That's why the good works follow from justification. They're a fruit of justification. They're the fruit of being grafted into Christ by faith. They're the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work as He applies the accomplished redemption of Christ to your life. And so good works are a beautiful thing. But don't start thinking that they add anything to your righteousness before God's throne. That is completely and entirely the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith alone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.